Bitcoin DMZ. I am Ken Rakowski. He's William Quigley. We are your one-stop place for everything that's crypto. This is show 11. And as I told William, once we get this show going, people are going to recognize him. And it's happening now. People are going, William, I love what you're saying on CoinDMZ. They do say that. And then they always say, so tell me about which coins are going up and what price to buy in. Unfortunately, I don't have a crystal ball, so I can't do that. You have no idea. Actually, what William does is he gives you the raw truth, <laughs> even if it hurts. It's true. I know you just came off of a, a nice little speaking gig. You're you're traveling soon. I think it's uh, Silicon Valley, uh, uh, Palo Alto for uh, D10E, which is one of the uh, crypto conferences, uh, one of the better crypto conferences. Yeah. So what, what makes a good conference and a bad conference? So for me, and I'm very particular, I like conferences that have uh, are not in their inaugural year. Right. So I like conferences that are on like year two, year three, because they've kind of carved out whatever niche they want to focus on. And there's if mm -hmm. anyone's listening on this podcast, who's who's taken a look at crypto conferences, you know that there's probably one a week and that's probably even not doing it justice. Maybe there's two a week across the world. And mm -hmm. so uh, some crypto conferences are very focused on the investors. Some are focused on ICOs. Some are focused on the technology. I tend to go to several each quarter that uh, are uh, a good mixture of all of those. And so I know what's going on. Got it. Okay. So as you go to these conferences, they're very generally technical, aren't they? No, 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 no. Oh, they're not no. really. No, no, no. Uh, that is a, uh, that is a misnomer uh, that I, uh, yes, they can be very technical, right? They can be very technical, but, uh, most of the times, they, these are business issues that we're talking about, right? Not, not uh, uh, like the underlying deep blockchain or anything like that. You're not talking about operating systems or getting right. deep like that. People do talk about that stuff, but uh, generally, I don't. You know, for, because for me, as a venture capitalist for many years and just a business person, uh, what I think is most relevant is all right, cool technology. What do I do with it? How is it gonna improve my life? That's the stuff I like to talk about. And, that, and that's what a lot of people talk about at these conferences. All right. Like I said, he's William Quigley. He is with Obskins and he also is with, uh, I, I know you guys have your own token called Wax Token, which you can find more about that by going where, William? You can go to wax.io. Uh, that's where you go. And Obskins, people wanna find out more, it's Opskins.com. Opskins.com. That's right. Hey, so we're starting the show Bitcoin right now, and I'm going to do a refresh to see what it's going to be by the time we're ending the show. It's $8,620. Awesome. Okay. Why did you say that? Well, because on Monday it was 6000 Okay. And by the way, guys, uh, investment tip, uh, why did we know that on Monday evening uh, Pacific time, that it was, there was a very good chance 6,000 was the low and it was time to buy back in. Why do we know that? Well, if Ken gives me uh, time a little bit later in the podcast, I'll tell you why and I'll tell you how you can look from now on at these coins and get some indication if they're in free fall, when they're gonna stop and when it's safe to buy back in. Whoa, you wanna hold on and wait for that. So don't go away. 
Hey, you know, something we don't talk much about are those flag companies. You know, the Facebook, the LinkedIn's, the Amazons, the Googles, the Netflix, I guess Flang, that's it. Why don't we see them actively involved in anything that's crypto? Oh, yeah. Good. Very good question. And you're right. I haven't heard the phrase in a while. Uh, so much goes on these days that things that seem front and center. It was just a few years ago that those companies seem to be the next masters of the universe, right? Yep. And now, uh, I mean, they still are important, but they're not they're not something that that preoccupy me. I just think mostly about what's going on in the crypto world. So the simple answer to your question, why don't those companies like Google or Microsoft or Facebook or LinkedIn and Netflix, why aren't they all over crypto is because they're giant companies, they're complex companies. And to try to incorporate a new technology into an existing business model or into a market that has millions of customers is very risky and it's complicated. And so until it's very, very obvious what a particular crypto or blockchain technology can do for them, they're going to sit on the sidelines. So this is what I'm thinking. I'm thinking Facebook has, one, they made it so no ICOs or cryptos can do any form of advertising on Facebook. They, they basically banned all of that. And only two months ago, Mark Zuckerberg brought up this whole idea of looking deeper into the blockchain. Here's my thought. My thought is, do you see Facebook as a publishing platform? Do you see it as that at least? Yes, for sure. Okay. How do they compensate somebody from, you know, publishing stuff is through likes and comments. That's probably the highest level engagement people get excited. I think that's wearing off. And I'm wondering, similar to the Steemit platform, which compensates people for writing things and publishing things, I'm wondering if Facebook's saying, let's make sure all crypto is out of the way. Let's launch our own payment structure that's around the blockchain environment. Yes. That would I be agree. a smart move. I think it would be a very smart move. And uh, what you said, uh, you think the idea of quote, you know, compensating people who contribute to the Facebook platform by letting them do likes and even letting them set up their own website, which is essentially what you do when you go on Facebook, right? You, you set yeah. up your little website. What you're feeling, I think, is exactly correct. And the reason is because when Facebook was originally launched, the notion that there was a company that would let you create your own personal website adding all of your friends in it, having a messaging capability and the nice little graphics and apps that you could plug into it as well. And it being quote free, that was really novel and that was cool. And that was novel and cool because to do that yourself might've cost you a thousand dollars to register a domain, to set up a website, to have a, a guy who knows HTML and whatnot. You see, in the next 15 years since, or 12 years, whatever it's been since Facebook has been created, mm -hmm. all of those things now are essentially free. Right. It's, it's virtually no cost to do that yourself. And as a result, the bargain between the Facebook contributor who gives Facebook content, which they can then use to make advertising money, and Facebook the company, that bargain doesn't seem to be as, as valid anymore. 
they need to do something else. I use Facebook a lot less, but if there was a gamification through Facebook to compensate and reward, I know LinkedIn's trying something. I'm waiting for Facebook to do it, and it might be around the Steam It side. So we have a lot to talk about today. Like William did tease you, he's going to give you an idea to understand where those peaks and valleys are, and you could read them a little more and maybe benefit from that. Hey, let's talk about the IRS, the Internal Revenue Service. Um, possibly some scrutiny or scrutinizing, let me rephrase that, around crypto transactions. How can they even get into that, William? How can they even know you're doing some type of transactions? Well, yeah. Well, first, uh, this is one of those things that I think is just funny. It's funny to me that uh, uh, finally, finally we have someone in government saying, oh, wait a minute cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology isn't this scary secretive stuff that uh, allows people to do things without going through proper channels and whatnot they're finally starting to realize oh wait a minute blockchain and cryptocurrency it records every single transaction from the beginning of time it's visible to anybody full transparency in fact if you want to hide in the shadows the worst place to do it is on the blockchain true so what the irs is now starting to say is oh by the way all you people who are buying and selling cryptocurrencies and maybe doing what in the old days people did with like offshore bank accounts hiding their their wealth we're gonna start figuring out who you are and once we figure that out if you're not paying your taxes you're going to be penalized the irs i think is finally woken up to the fact that actually the blockchain makes it a lot easier to monitor every single transaction. Yeah, but I'm not registered on anything with my physical name, are you? Well, absolutely. Yeah, of course. <laughs> uh, but, and and so it's a very good point that you make. So for anybody who thinks, oh, it's anonymous, the blockchain and cryptocurrencies are anonymous. Well, you could say they're anonymous under one scenario. That scenario is, you have a blockchain um, wallet and it's it's registered in a fake name if that's what you've done you receive cryptos and you send out cryptos if that's what you're doing you never try to trade something on a formal exchange you never try to send something to a business that's required to know its customer and you never try to cash something out and actually get fiat which means you know real green money so if you never do any of those things, maybe you can operate without a lot of scrutiny. But for most of us, that's not very useful. Yeah, but We're what happens, buying. wait, wait, what happens with different sites that offer you to buy either digital assets or allow you to buy things with Bitcoin uh, where you don't have to have a physical address for something to be delivered? Okay, Ooh. but you do have to have what we call a KYC, which is the know your customer rules, which most businesses across the world follow, which means if somebody is giving you, we're not talking about $100 or $200 or whatever, right? So yeah, if you wanna say, well, I'm anonymous for a few hundred bucks, I guess so, you can you know, use US dollars and do everything in US dollars, never touch a bank, never use a credit card. But for most people, that's not very fulfilling or interesting. All right. right. You're right. Let's move on. Let's talk about uh, credit cards. Looks like certain banks in the United States are preventing their customers from using their credit yeah. card or debit card from buying 
uh, on different exchanges. What's so happening can, here? Ken, have you ever used a credit card to buy cryptocurrency on an exchange? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, which exchange? Coinbase. Uh, yeah, it was Coinbase. <laughs> Coinbase. Yeah, <laughs> right. Uh, so, what did you think about that experience? Would you use credit cards more if you could? No, no, not at all. Why don't you like using credit cards to buy? Because it took what a week. It, the yeah. the process was so long. Because yeah, for the audience, I'll tell you why it sucks for the company selling you. You say, hey, if a guy lets me use a credit card. I'll sell them Bitcoin. That's great. But there's something called chargebacks. So you can actually, as a vendor, uh, hit someone's credit card and feel like, oh, I charged a credit card. Now I'll give you the Bitcoin. The problem is that credit card could be stolen mm -hmm. or you could just change your mind. And right. in that case, you reverse the transaction, but you can't reverse the blockchain transaction. So you're out of your Bitcoin. Uh, so that's the reason it's not a very popular method. But when I saw that a number of banks had said they don't want their customers buying cryptocurrency with, with, with uh, credit cards, my, my uh, reading of that was it was banks being concerned that people may be uh, stuck with a credit card bill that they can't pay off because the cryptocurrency they bought, the price went down and now they can't afford it. Got it. It's a little nanny state-ish to me. It's like, oh, we're looking out for you. So I don't, I think it's kind of lame, but it seems to be the trend. So here's another interesting trend. And we're, we, every show we talk about different countries doing something uh, when it comes to crypto and, and blockchain. And it seems like certain ones pop up in front of us often. Obviously, South Korea is one of them. China is another one. China is either a massive thorn in the side of the growth of crypto because they seem to do whatever they can being the government to slow down the adoption, the growth of the accessibility of anything that's crypto in their country. Correct? Yes. Okay. Why? Well, uh, uh, there's various voices within the Chinese government, like any big government, you don't have just one monolithic point of view. Sometimes like in the case of South Korea, you have contradictory positions by different people in the government. In the case of China, uh, initially they banned people from using payment processing things like Alipay and, and WePay, the big payment methods, they're the equivalent of like PayPal in China, from buying cryptos from exchanges. Mm -hmm. And I think they were worried that people were going to lose their money. Then they actually banned the exchanges, the argument being that, you know, we don't want our Chinese people to be... Uh, going crazy and getting caught up with uh, Bitcoin fever. And then when it crashes, there's problems. And then they said, no more ICOs. Can't do ICOs in China. The latest has been, they're saying uh, Chinese people within China can't access uh, Bitcoin and crypto exchanges outside of China. So it does appear to me that uh, they don't want their citizens owning cryptos at all. At all. And that is surprising to me, given that, what, 75% of all Bitcoin is mined in China and that the um, Chinese have been very early in adopting cryptocurrencies. I've been surprised. Uh, I would have thought that maybe they would have just rolled out more regulations about, you know, to prevent money laundering and such. But uh so right now, if I just look at it uh, on its face, I would say 
China doesn't want its citizens to own cryptocurrency, probably because they feel like it's a threat to owning the RMB, their national currency. That's right. And this goes back to the great firewall of China. That's where they try to block everything out. So he is William Quigley. I'm Ken Rakowski. This is Coin DMZ. We're with you every single week to give you an update of what's going on in the crypto markets. And of course, you can find us over at coindmz.com or on iTunes. You can download the podcast. And I love having William with us every week. Thanks, buddy. So, hey, I, I, I know you want to tell us about, again, the peaks and valleys to understand those a little later on the show. I have a little game to play with you. And it's all around, is it a real token, coin, or fake? So um, the ECB, that's it. The European Central yeah. Bank. You, yeah. we, we talked about this guy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, what's his name, the commissioner? Oh, uh, the uh, president of the European Central Bank is a guy named Mario Draghi. What's going on with Mario? So Mario is uh, taking another look at uh, cryptocurrencies and banks. I think he's probably been having conversations with some of the big national banks across Europe who are saying, hey, uh, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange is allowing the trading of Bitcoin futures. The Chicago Board of Exchange is allowing it. NASDAQ. Uh, big hedge funds in New York are allowing it. Uh, we as a bank need to be be staying abreast of all cutting edge new financial products. And probably a lot of their banking customers would like to be able to acquire, maybe even hold Bitcoin in a bank. And so he has made a few comments recently that banks should be able to hold cryptocurrencies on behalf of their customers. I think that's a pretty big position. Now, he, he yeah. kind of speaks out of both sides of his mouth, like a lot of these people. Uh, so he also says it's risky and it's not really a viable currency. But uh, I see this as a very important comment that banks should be able to hold cryptocurrencies because for anyone who owns cryptos, you probably know that once you buy them, holding them is kind of scary. It's very easy to lose this crazy password Hackers are constantly trying to get on your computer and take your cryptos. So it would be nice to have a, a big bank that is, specializes in holding cash and other, and other securities, now holding Bitcoin as well. So it would be nice if that happened. It's probably a few years off. But Europe, at least uh, for this week, looks more positive than negative on the whole crypto blockchain thing. When we say Europe, you're talking about the European Union specifically, right? Yes, the European Union. And I guess, does that include the UK anymore or not? I, I don't know what's happening there. But what happens with France, because France seems to be pretty much on the outside of what's going on with crypto. Which is a, which is a very familiar place for France to be, right? <laughs> uh, NATO, Stop we it. hate NATO, but we're going to practice along with NATO and look like we're NATO. So, um, Stop yeah, making fun. I think, William, stop making fun of France because yeah. they're going to go, they're going to strike. They're going to strike on you now. <laughs> You know, I was out there, I was out there and I was doing this big event and every day of me putting this event, event together in Paris, some group that was affiliated with my event went on strike. So every day it was like, oh, electricity, there's no electricity today. Yeah. Yeah. They're on strike. Oh, okay. Hey, I have no chauffeurs and people to drive people around. No, all the taxis and all the drivers are on strike. It's such a difficult place to run a business if you want oh, consistency. Yeah. By the way, you had no chauffeurs. What about your manicurist? I already went, and that's Vietnam. So ah, stop okay. that, please. All right. 
So <laughs> I don't know what bank you use, if you use uh, Bank of America or Citibank or whatever it is, you know that they have hours on the door where you open the door, you walk in, if you ever do go back, go to a bank, but there's a consistency around that bank, at least here in the States and, and in Europe. But if that bank is sometimes open, sometimes closed, you don't know what's happening, it would get pretty nerve wracking. Well, well, not only that, you you in the U.S., I think the law is three consecutive days a bank can be closed, but it can't be closed for four days in a row. Oh, it's like the stock market. Same yeah, thing. can't be closed. I think that goes back to the Great Depression. Three days max. So when I see one of the platforms out there being Binance or Binance, saying, hey, we're suspending all trades. We, we think there's an issue. There's possible hackers. We're suspending trades. And it's, you know, again, if this is a website that is a global 24-hour network, I get concerned when I start seeing this. Now, does this kind of reminisce back uh, when PayPal, because, you know, remember, PayPal went down a few times in its inception. It was I remember. Up. So it kind of feels like back in the late nine, 90s when we saw PayPal going up and down, What's your thought on this? Uh, look at these, uh, ex there's hundreds, there's actually thousands of exchanges, hundreds of exchanges that have any kind of scale. And uh, they are sort of uh, experimental businesses at this point. Most of them are less than a year old. So, you know, they're getting staffed with uh, customer service people learning about this technology. The customers are learning about it. Uh, it doesn't actually surprise me that much. And here's what I would tell you. For most exchanges, uh, I think virtually every exchange, actually, they operate 24-7, seven days a week. Right. Yes, periodically they, they crash or they shut down. But compared to the stock exchange, which is open like eight hours, that's pretty darn good. I understand what you're saying, but again, when these things crash as off, because it's happened multiple times, they suspended trading. I mean, look what happened even with, with Coinbase. I know you're not a big fan of it, but that is what the mass consumers are using right now. When we see this, William, it does, again, show you how early we are in this process because consistency is not there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. The, the, uh, the standards that we operate on today in crypto I'm sure in five years time, people will be really surprised that people tolerated it. But you know how it is, like any emerging technology, uh, even if it's not so good, if it allows you to do something that you couldn't do before, you take the fact that it's not a perfect thing, right? Remember when uh, uh, electric cars first came out and you had to really think about where am I going to recharge my car without being stranded? Right now, it's a lot better. So I I think you know yes, exchanges will periodically have to shut down, um, but uh, probably not for very Wait long. Second. Wait a second, step back. Are you suggesting you got an electric car? Did you get one? I have not gotten an electric car yet, and the reason I haven't gotten oh. one is I don't ever want to have to think about where my electrical cord is going to plug into dude i just said to my garage i plug my car in every night I, get a tesla please just be cool are you still driving that lebaron that convertible lebaron from uh 1987 has there ever been a replacement for corinthian leather <laughs> uh, all right let's go to uh, the ponzi schemes of the internet 
And yes, I have noticed more and I'm hearing more. I mean, let's face it, wasn't BitConnect a Ponzi scheme? Well, we will see. It, it seemed it seemed hard to believe what they were doing. You know, great rates of return on forty percent, forty percent guaranteed a month. Forty percent. What I just want someone to do is explain to me how that was profitable. If it wasn't a Ponzi scheme, and I honestly have no idea, let's give them the mm-hmm. benefit of the doubt. Uh-huh. How yeah. were they making money paying those rates? Yeah, I, but I hear about these often. You know, oh, this one right here, 15% a day. What? So explain what that is, Ken. What what are you getting 15% for doing? So you put money into an account that they claim they convert into whatever currency it is, and then they loan this money out, and people are paying back this loan at, I, I guess, loan shark rates. Yeah. And you're able to receive back the interest into your account, which, by the way, you have to hold on into your account. You can't utilize it right away. Some of a 30-day or 40 or 45-day uh, or two-month period. That's the key right there. And then up. you're able to – it's messed up. Oh, yeah. I mean, if Bernie Madoff's doing something for prison right now, this is what he's working on. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, it's so – and the problem is what they do so well – in other countries is like BitConnect, they had BitConnect stores. You would actually go to a storefront and yeah, it felt legit. It felt, it was so smart what they were doing because, and it's, let's face it, people had $5,000. It was a life savings. They would go in and meet somebody. They were friendly and they put their money in. And of course they got screwed. It was like a Charles Schwab store or something. It felt like that. It felt like that. So, and I actually went into a couple in Jakarta ah. just to check them out. Hey, do you remember the Winklevosses? Of course, yes. Winklevosses, Winkle of course. Uh, they made some money off of the Facebook. Yep. There was a unreported amount of money that Mark Zuckerberg had to pay them. It's like four hundred million or something. Was that it? I don't know what the number is. I thought it was unreported, but okay, oh. four hundred million. So they had a ton of coin on them, and they were fairly early in yes. the Bitcoin game, around 2013-14. Oh, what's, yeah. It may be earlier, but yeah, they were. What's going on with those guys? Do they matter? Do they know what's going on? Yeah, no, they've done some really cool stuff. They've, they've uh, tried to start uh, an ETF, right, uh, mm-hmm. a publicly traded ETF, so that uh, you wouldn't have to go through all this pain and agony of of going to a, a crypto exchange and depositing money with your credit card and then taking the coins and hiding them and all that. So they were going to allow you to trade, buy Bitcoin basically the way you buy a stock. And there was one principal issue the SEC had with it. And that was the custodianship of the coins. There was not a lot of, if any, uh, work that had been done that got the regulators comfortable with where is this stuff going to be held? And how can it be safeguarded? You know, it's not like cash and it's not like precious metals. So uh, their ETF uh, did not happen. Now, if you look at uh, what's going on in Canada, I believe several several organizations are launching things that are sort of like what the Winkle losses were going to do, but on the Canadian stock exchange. Oh. Winkle losses invest in a number of different 
uh, coins. And so they're, I would call them active in the cryptocurrency space. Interesting. Let's watch what happens with them. Got one more story. And then William and I are going to play a, a little game. And then we'll get uh, to that little secret that William says when it comes to peaks and valleys. Last thing real quick. We, of course, have been watching this roller coaster ride with the stock market. Boy, it's been if you watch it from an intelligent perspective, not emotional, it's fun to watch from being oh, yeah. intelligent and look at Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban knew, hey, this is a buying time. And he he put a ton of money in the markets when it was on on the bottom. Smart move. Um, yeah. And by the way, I'm not sure if you and I know you don't let, even know what the stock market is anymore because you have probably very little money invested in that space. It's where you get it's where you get your bread and milk and eggs. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly it. But I have a feeling, William, and I'm hearing this from many millennials now, it's too risky, the stock market. I'd rather play in crypto, which is kind of funny because you can lose so much money very quickly in the stock market, but even more in crypto based upon its peaks and valleys. Yeah, part you're right, and I've heard the same thing. And part of it, I think, is... Uh, uh, you know, every generation wants to own its new thing. And so, you know, back in the 90s, young people were like, I'm going to own internet stocks, right? And uh, and now it's, hey, I'm going to own cryptocurrencies. And uh, I think given the volatility of cryptocurrencies, we, we know that compared to a well-known uh, company brand, uh, cryptocurrencies have a lot more volatility. But it does speak to some underlying issues that millennials, and not just millennials, because I kind of feel the same way, have about investing in the stock market. It feels like the stocks go up and down for reasons we don't understand. Companies uh, crater, and it seems like a lot of people in the know in the New York financial world were able to get tipped off. Mm -hmm but we weren't. And so we've had so many problems in the financial world and forget about even talking about, you know, the whole financial crisis and banks collapsing and whatnot that I kind of feel like, yeah, I get it. In this case, I'm sort of in the millennial camp, but here's the way I would put it. I can take all the risk, not know why the heck my stock that I just bought is going up or down. And they tell me it's regulated, but then I lose money. Mm -hmm. Um, but if I'm going to make money and my stock doubles in a year, I feel like I'm, I'm Warren Buffett. Right. right. Yeah. And now I take a crypto and yes, they're even riskier. They can move. Uh, they can go drop 99%, but they can also go up 1000 times higher. And so I sort of look at it. So I'm one of these people and say, hey, I know it's very volatile, but you know what? The upside is so much bigger than the stock market. And I can get in and out like the stock market. In fact, I can get in and out faster than the stock market. Which you can. Because it, Which you I can. can get out 24-7, any time of day I can sell. Yeah, and that's the key. You're able to get in and out so fast on this. And I think that's the most important there. Okay, so when William and I come back, this is what we're going to do. We're going to play a little game. We're going to find out if William knows his tokens because I don't think he does. William, Quigley, Ken Rakowski, you're listening and hanging out with us here on Coin DMZ. We'll be right back. All 
right, so hey, William, it's great to, of course, always hang out with you every single week where we dive into what's probably one of the hottest things on the planet Earth right now being the crypto space. And I know that you've been watching the ups and downs of, of Bitcoin specifically. Yeah. And for some reason, your Spidey Sense knew 6800 6, was the bottom. Yeah. How would you have known that? Well, I have a special artificial intelligence robot. <laughs> no. Yeah. Yeah. What is that? No, come on. How did you, what, what made you feel that was the bottom? All right. So, uh, there are, there are what we call technical analysis, uh, procedures or standards that, uh, many investors apply in the regular stock markets. Technical analysis means looking at, at the patterns of a stock going up and down, looking at how much volume is being traded looking at things like the average price of that stock over some period of time, and then making some uh, guesses as to what's going to happen based on those historical analytical facts. Uh, we call it technical analysis. Uh, some people call it like financial voodoo because you don't actually look at the companies. You don't go and evaluate the brands or evaluate uh with the management team, you literally just look at the trading patterns. Charts and graphs. Yes, charts and graphs. And that is something that I think if you are a serious trader, let's say a buyer and a seller, and you do it actively of cryptos, you don't just hold. If you do that, you need to understand some basic technical analysis. And one that I have found, a lot of this stuff probably isn't that reliable. And maybe I fooled myself into thinking the things I rely on are, but I can tell you over many years, looking at moving averages, right? So we break them down into 50-day, 100-day, 200-day moving averages. And this is if you took the average price of, let's say, a Bitcoin over the last 200 days, you would see that that price was $6,000. And in fact, on Monday, I did just that. The 200-day moving average is, is a, as you can imagine, the average price over 200 days. That's a pretty, you got a pretty good set of numbers, 200 individual days of numbers. And it was right around 6,000. And the way technical analysis works is, generally speaking, that 200-day moving average, when a, when a coin goes uh, substantially above that or below that, that could be a buying opportunity or a selling opportunity. What was going on on Monday night was it was dropping incredibly fast, uh, you know, 8,000, 7,000, 6,000. And I was very curious, what is the 200-day moving average? And it was roughly about 6,100. And it did briefly drop below that, but then got a lot of support and started going up. So at that point, talking to my partners, I said, guys, it looks like this 200-day moving average floor is, is a solid base of support. And part of that is because there's bots, these programs, software programs, that, that trade automatically on behalf of people based on these analyses. And there were probably a lot of bots saying, buy when crypto drops below the 200-day moving average. And when you looked at it, there was a lot of support, a lot of buyers and there are ways, maybe in another in another podcast we can talk about it, there are ways to actually find out 
how many people are willing to buy Bitcoin, for instance, at 6,000, at 5,900, at 5,800. You can actually find data and it'll show you how many Bitcoins worth of buyers there are. When I looked at that and saw a strong support base at around 6,000, I felt like it wasn't gonna drop much more. And so we started to pile in. That's smart. I, I don't think that was voodoo whatsoever. That's good data behind that decision. And the thing is, I could teach anybody to do it in five minutes, literally five minutes. And, and again, it's not perfect, but when you're thinking, darn, you know, Bitcoin looks like it's on sale. It was at 20,000 a few months ago, and now it's at 6,000. Those are the times where it's you make all spread. the money. So follow that. Last thing before we get out of here, let's have a little fun. Let's throw some music on. That's our game show music right there because we're about to do a little game. It actually started because William asked about the Spank Chain coin. Mm. Yes, there is a Spank Chain coin for the adult industry. And it's Spank. It's actually Spank is the symbol for the coin. S-P-A-N-K. Oh, you're going to pile in on that one. I'm going <laughs> to. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I have a few coins that are real and fake. And you have to tell me if it's real, William, or if it's fake. And our first one is called the Useless Ethereum Token, U-E-T, real or fake? I believe that one is real. It is real, market cap of $190,000. It's going for four cents right now. Good job. Our next coin is the F-O-T-Z, the FTSE coin, real or fake? I haven't heard of it, I'm gonna say fake. It is fake, good job. Our next coin, real or fake, the Trump coin, T-R-U-M-P. Uh, fake. It's no, it is real. Oh. Market cap is almost a million dollars. It goes for 15 cents. It's the Trump coin. Our next one is the L-Z-Y, the lazy coin. I know some people who will probably be big buyers. Uh, L-Z-Y, mm, fake. <laughs> it is fake. Our next one is the Moon Coin, M O O N. Real. $36 million market cap on that one. What does that do? <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> I don't. I will, I will find out. I'll put it inside the notes. And is this real or fake, William? It is. The symbol is T I T, it's the Tit Coin. I haven't heard it, so I'm going to say fake. It's real and it's worth market cap, a little over a million dollars. It's the Titcoin by Pornhub, who actually did that ICO. I'm not kidding. There you go. You're a good contestant. Your parting gift is dinner with me on Sunday night. Oh, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and you're treating. Yep. So go wherever wax is accepted. Let's do it that way. Looks like it's going to be Jack in a Box again. I like it. I like it a lot. Hey, William, I appreciate you spending time with us. And of course, always in just inundating us with all this knowledge you have. And we're only scratching the surface. You want to find out more, make sure you go check out what William's doing over at Opskins or at Wax Token. Learn more there. And CoinDMZ is your spot for everything crypto. William, thanks a lot, buddy. I appreciate you being here. Thank you, Ken. And everyone, thanks a lot for listening to CoinDMZ. Sorry.